good morning, church. How we doing? Good, 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 good. Man, you guys, uh, just the singing just a minute ago, we were singing Worthy is the Lamb. I'm Scott Weatherford, by the way. Just incredible, uh, just the joy that I heard coming from your voices. Do you believe what you just sang? Well, that's kind of some of you. That's great. We'll work on the rest of you. Maybe you'll believe it by the time we're done today. So many exciting things Joe talked about. One of the things I want to say before I get into this talk, Israel's coming quickly and the deadline's approaching. We still have a few spots open. If you're interested in going, grab a brochure on the way back. The title of this message today is called The Blessed Life. The Blessed Life. Uh, recently, I, I got a, a new vehicle and I got a subscription to Sirius, Sirius Radio. You guys know what that is? Some of you have that? You know, it's, of course, I'm not going to pay for it. It's free right now. And they're going to harass me until I let, let it go away. But I've been listening to a Christian, a Christian music station, and I've heard this amazing amount of music over the last several weeks and listening to some of this stuff that, well, I don't want to become negative and critical. I know none of y'all are negative and critical. But I've heard some pretty lousy the- theology in songs. And I'm not just talking about contemporary stuff, y'all. I'm talking about some of the old stuff, too. You know? And we can't build our theology based on music. Did you know that? One of the misconceptions that's thrown out, not just in music, but in just kind of modern-day vernacular, is that the blessed life is a life full of stuff. That I'm healthy, wealthy, and wise. And then if I'm not healthy, wealthy, and wise, then I'm not blessed. But what a load of stuff. I mean, just, that's just not true. Blessings is not based on what we get from God. It's what God gives to us through his very presence and the dwelling of our lives. You see, what I think we need, and I'm not going to be one of these guys that just pounds you today. I'm not going to do that because that's just not me. But we have to have a perspective change. We need to shift in our focus. Now, I wrote something down. I'll throw it up on the screen. Your perception becomes your reality what you see is what you get. Now, when I teach you know, business leaders this stuff, I, I say WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. What you envision becomes your reality. In other words, there's a little piece in your brain called the reticular activating system. And that reticular activating system causes you to recognize or remember things once you've been exposed to them. For example, you buy a new red truck and all of a sudden you see all these red trucks around you or i say to you have you ever noticed that joe smith's one of his ears is bigger than the other one (laughs) now that's not true but from now on you're going to look at his head and measure his ears because what we've done is change your perspective we change your perspective that we put something in your brain whether it's true or not true that it causes you to shift your focus And when we're sold this line of goods that the blessings of God is stuff, healthy, wealthy, and wise, we miss what I call, and I think what others call, the deeper life of devotion. I would guarantee if we stood Peter up here and say, hey, Peter, was life full of stuff? And he goes, no, life was full of trials. By the way, they crucified me upside down. I didn't get a 15,000 square foot house and a new car. I got a cross. We stood Paul up here beside us and said, hey, Paul, was life full of stuff? He goes, no, 
I knew how to be hungry and how to be well-fed. I knew when to be clothed and not clothed. I was imprisoned, and, and they cut my head off. It's the blessed life. Because life is about perspective, and life is about the joy of the Lord. Now, here's something that, that I personally have been beat up with this week, getting ready for this talk. Because I want to gauge my life based on my perceived successes and not God's reality. I need a heart change. God desires you to view life through his perspective, not yours, and not through our cultural understanding, but his. And we have a tendency to have a distorted view of God. Some of it to the distortion of prosperity, and some to the the distortion of, oh my. Here's some things I wrote down. We think God is mad. And that if we appease him enough, he will not be mad at us. Any of y'all grow up that way? Don't raise your hand. I can see it on your face. God is mad. We think God is all about rule keeping. Keep the rules, keep the rules, keep the rules. Now, in my house, I live with Tara. Tara's a school teacher, a kindergarten teacher. She's a rule keeper. You do things a certain way, and it's the right way, and the right way is her way. Hold on to the rope. Keep your hands in your lap. Write your A's a certain way. I mean, rule keeping. I love Tara and I love her order and I love her system, but she married someone who's not a rule keeper. And so it's the clash of cultures. Y'all have heard this, that when you're dating, opposites attract. Have you heard that? And when you marry, opposites attack. Have you heard? Yeah. It's true. It's true. Matter of perspective. Oh, we think that... uh, we listen to lies about ourselves from Satan or from others. You'll never amount to anything. You know, you're not as smart as your sister or as attractive as your sister or as athletic as your brother. Your brother was a superstar, and well, we're just kind of glad you came along. Or what about this? Well, the other two, we planned, and you were an accident. Any of y'all accidents out there? My daddy said I was an accident. My mother said I was the love child. It was just disturbing. (laughs) We listen to these lies, and we start believing these lies, and we start believing the lies that cause hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Speaking of which, uh, starting February 8th, we have Celebrate Recovery beginning here that's going to help you deal with your hurts, habits, and hang-ups. It's not just about addictions, quote-unquote. It's about life. You could come on February 8th to that. Or... We think we have to earn God's love. It's karma. If I do enough, then God will bless me. If I appease God, then he will. Or if I do good things, good things will happen to me. And the thing is, it's karma. God's not into karma. Did did y'all know that? Did you know that? We sure don't act that way. You know, do I do good in order to get good, or do I do good because the God who has made me good causes me to do good? or leads me to do good. My brain has been transformed into him. We could be guilty of sitting in the corners of our mind, wearing our tinfoil hats and concocting crazy conspiracies about God. Am I the only one who does that? Okay, I am. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Or we can allow God to set us free with his perspective. The life Jesus offers is not dependent upon our self-righteousness or our self-effort. It's not. 
but it's on the new nature Christ gives to us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's the new nature. I bless my kids because of my, they're my kids. God blesses me because I am his child. And he blesses me with things that are more, more than things, but it's his presence, his peace, his comfort, his care, his certainty, his knowledge, his unconditional love. I was reading this week in the book of Luke. I'm trying to write a commentary on Luke, and boy, it's just an exercise in futility. But I'll get there. I'm in chapter 8 right now. John, the Baptist, who's Jesus' cousin, who Jesus said was the most uh, honorable man born of woman, John the Baptist doubted Jesus. He sent his disciples to say, hey, Jesus... Ask Jesus if he's the one or should we look for another one? John the Baptist doubted Jesus. And this is something that hit me this morning even as I read this. Jesus never doubted John. Ever. And I would say to you that anyone who's followed Christ says you haven't had a season of doubt you're not telling the truth or you not experienced a greater portion of self-examination or you've stuffed it down, but I want to say this to you because I will say it to me. Jesus has never doubted you, ever. And that even that thought this day became life-changing to me because my belief and faith in Jesus is not based on me. It's based on him. It's based on him holding me because I knew whom I have believed in and persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day, Paul said to Timothy. Hmm. God blesses me, and he wants to bless me because of our relationship, not on my behavior, but then my behaviors are shaped by the transformation of Jesus living in me. Intentional discipleship changes our perspective, and we view the world as God does. You see, the crowd in Jesus' day was into rule-keeping, not into blessing. In the Old Testament, we have Mount Sinai and the law. In the New Testament, we have Mount Calvary and grace. The law shows you how far you've fallen from God. Grace shows you how close God has come near to us. I think that's pretty amazing. The good news is that we are the partakers of the bliss of God. Isn't that good news? The bliss of God. Now, when I said that to Terry, she says, what do you mean by bliss? I mean, I, well, woohoo! The bliss of God. We're partakers of that. The bad news is that we can't do this on our own. Because most of us say, I want the bliss of God, so I'm going to do this, 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 this. I'm going to show up, listen to that crazy guy preach for an hour so I can get the bliss of God. Ain't going to happen, y'all. I mean, the hour, yeah, that will happen. The best news is that Jesus died and rose again to indwell us with the Holy Spirit to give us the blessed life. Intentional discipleship means living in the blessings of God in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Do you want that? That was not rhetorical. Do you want that? Yeah. Jesus turns to his disciples and teaches them the pathway to the blessed life. He warns them about the pitfalls, and he speaks to us today. So let's lean in and let's listen. And let's see what Jesus has to say out of Luke chapter 9 about the blessed life. 
Y'all ready? That's kind of pitiful. Y'all ready? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're going to say to us this morning, and I pray that you will speak through me. And I thank you, Father, that you've already spoken to me this morning. And I pray you'll speak to the hearts of these that have gathered here, that we will not walk out of this room with a distorted view of you, but with a clear view of you. And Father, you're asking a very muddy man, me, to deliver that clear view of you. But Father, I thank you that you are not muddy, you are clear. And I pray, Father, you'll clear away the, the muck and mire from my mind and to deliver this truth to your people that you love. So thank you for what you're gonna do. And I pray this all in your strong name, amen. Go ahead and take out your notes, your, your take the weekend with you. Let me remind you of the information we provided for you on the internet, the group material that goes with this. If you're not taking advantage of the group material, you're missing the whole fullness of the book of Luke. Take advantage of it. It's online at our, at our website, fbcwimberly.com, plus the readings in Luke we provided and the journal of Luke that we provided. We do all of this because we love you, a robust environment of your God time, your group time, and your gathering time. Why do we do that? Because we love you. We want you to get it. We want you to become like Christ. So we make all these efforts to do that. Here's the first thing that I think that brings clarity. And we talked about it last week. The blessed life starts in my heart. A.W. Tozer said this, and I quoted it last week. I think you remember it. Your whole world is in your heart. Your whole world is in your heart. And whatever the heart, the contents of my heart will shape the choices of my character. Now, listen, y'all, I'm not into silo living. Like you have your mind and your heart and your hands and your feet and your life. It's all one person. If you take out my heart, I'm dead. If you take out my mind, I'm, I'm, some of you think I'm dead. Well, some of you, no, you, well, yeah, you're dead. If I cut off my hands, I'm handicapped. It's this whole process of our whole life living all for Jesus. The contents of my heart, what's in my heart, the choices I have made, will shape the choices of my character. Jesus said it this way, but the words you speak come from the heart. That is what defiles you. From the heart comes evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. That's Matthew 15, 18 through 19. Jesus is saying, I need a heart change. And we spoke of that. A new life requires a new heart. You can't put a new heart in an old life. Remember that? Or you can't take an old life and have a new heart in it. It destroys the old. God wants to change your heart in order to change your life. So I have to rid myself, and this is really, really interesting. I have to rid myself of toxic thoughts. Toxic thoughts. Now, I know this is true. You think of crazy stuff. It comes into your mind. Crazy stuff. Doubts, discouragement, conspiracies. You think of crazy stuff. The study of the brain is very, very interesting. I'm not going to get into the details of it, but neurologists have said, literally have said, that you have diatribes that grow in your brain like trees. And toxicity, toxic thoughts, grow into wild weesatch bushes in your brain. But when you put in good thoughts, godly thoughts, positive thoughts, it starts killing those trees. Let me ask you this. Do you guys love cedar around here? No, it's a wretched thing, isn't it? 
did you know that cedar is not indigenous to the hill country? It was brought in. Did you know that? So much of our toxic thoughts are not indigenous to your mind, but they've been brought in. By whom? By Satan. Or by the, the workers of Satan, which could be your extended family. Just saying. Or negative, critical people in your life, and they put toxicity in your life, in your mind, in your brain. And God says, I want to give you a new mind, and I want to clean out the toxic thinking. Even this morning, I was dealing with toxic thinking. Like, who are you to talk on this stuff? You're an ignorant redneck from Northwest Florida where redneck's not a word, it's a way of life. And toxicity of thought will keep you from having the fullness of mind. So what do you do? What do you do? I love how God is so thorough in what he teaches. This is what Paul said in Philippians chapter four. Finally, brothers... Sisters, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commemorable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's any praise, dwell on these things. I like what one translation says, think on these things. Another says, dwell on these things. I like this dwell, think. That I want to fill my mind with things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, Commemorable, moral excellence, praise. Is criticism on there? Is getting your way on there? Is personal preference on there? Is the garbage your family has said to you growing up, is that on there? I remember an aunt of mine saying to me, I was about 15 years old, you shouldn't sing. You do not have a pretty voice. And I go on to graduate from the most prestigious universities in the United States with a degree in voice performance. I could have listened to the garbage of my aunt. In fact, you know, sometimes you look back on your your growing up days and you see the influence of these dysfunctional dumpster fires that were in your life. But you as a kid didn't know that they were dysfunctional dumpster fires until you look back as an adult and you go, dang. Am am I by myself? Y'all sound like, Y'all are thinking, you need therapy. You're right. So do you. That we dump out these toxicity of our thoughts of things we've been told. Lies you believed about God. Lies you believed about yourself. Lies you believed about others. You see, your whole world's in your heart. And you rid yourself. Look at this list. Evil thoughts. Toxicity of thoughts that lead to evil actions, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander. Notice the toxic thoughts lead you down a path you don't want to go. Would you think you should rid yourself of this? Okay, none of you do. So here's the deal. I've got to watch my mouth. I've got to watch my mouth. I've got to watch what I say and what I allow to, to, to dwell in my heart. I've got to watch it. And, and as I watch my mouth, I learn to discipline my thoughts. I don't allow culture to control my mind because culture will corrupt my mind. We talk about renewal around here. We talk about personal renewal, relational renewal, structural, uh, missional renewal, structural renewal, and then a cultural renewal. As I said last week, everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing themselves. 
that renewal starts with me and me getting honest to God and me looking at my life and say, God, who am I and what am I doing here? And I deal with myself because my attitude will shape my character and my character will then shape my actions. Aren't you glad I'm done with that? Because let me get to the good stuff now. Here's the good stuff. God blesses those who are these things. Now, Luke is looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And, and Matthew took better notes. That's why Matthew has more stuff on the Sermon on the Mount. Luke, he was d day or something. I don't know what he's doing. But Matthew took better notes. But Jesus turned to his disciples and said this. God blesses, God bless you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. God bless you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. God bless you who weep now, for in due time you will laugh. What blessings await when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man? When that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy. What? For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, their ancestors treated the ancient prophets the same way. You look at this list. It's in Luke 6, uh, 20. I said Luke 9, but it's in Luke 6, 20 through 23. And you, you look at this and you go, what is Jesus talking about? And first of all, I said, blessed when you're poor, he's not talking about being broke. He's talking about being poor in spirit. When your spirit is to a place that you're desperate for God and you want to hear from God. You see, there's false teachings today about poor and rich. And some people teach it's God blesses the poor and the rich are not blessed, they're cursed, and then vice versa. And the truth is neither one of those. If you've got a big pile of resources, you've got a big pile of responsibilities. If you have a little pile of resources, you have a big pile of dependence. Both of those are all based on God. On God. Hungry for righteousness. Not because you're hungry because you didn't get breakfast and you're looking forward to the break where you can go get a pig in a blanket. No. Hungry for righteousness, a deep desire to become like Jesus, personal holiness, not self-righteousness, not judgmentalism, arrogant, not arrogance, not elitism. Tara and I were out this week, and we were doing some fun things, and, and we went to a Bernie. Y'all ever go to Bernie? Looks like it's not Bernie, but looks like it's something else, German spelling. We're in a store, and I said something about being judgmental, and a guy turned to me and he said, yeah. I said, you know what? I've learned not to be judgmental because what I've learned is that if I'm judgmental, I get judged by the same standards I'm judging you by, and that's not right. He goes, yeah, that's true. Who said that? I said, Jesus. <laughs> Who? <laughs> really? Well, why don't church people act like Jesus? It's a good question, isn't it? Because we wring our hands as we say, oh, look at them, them pitiful sinners. <laughs> really? Do I want to be judged by the same standards which I judge others by? No. I want grace. I want bless your heart. That's what I want. But see, that's what we do because this is toxicity of thought that a hunger for righteousness, a hunger to be like Christ. I'm starving for Jesus. Bless you when you weep and mourn. Weep and mourn over what? Over sin. That's a general attitude of, of repentance. There's personal sin. There's relational sin. There's spiritual attacks. There's spiritual condition of other people. I mourn over that. 
I love Wyatt Warren. Y'all know Wyatt. He's on our staff. He's my chief of staff. Wyatt mourns over the spiritual condition of people. He mourns over lost people. He literally weeps over them. I've driven up with him to Dripping Springs, and he goes, who is going to reach all these people? And sometimes in our desire to do something great, we don't realize that God's already ahead of us. Y'all, I've gone to a lot of places in the world. I've never taken the gospel with me. It's always been there before I got there. I just joined God. Appropriate mourning. Appropriate mourning, not false mourning, not self-flatulation because of some unrealistic expectation, but appropriate mourning means an unexamined life is not worth living. I need to look at myself. Blessed when you're attacked, mocked, excluded because of Jesus. <laughs> Woohoo! Really? Now, we could sit in the comfortable confines of this room and, and read this and go, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, until it happens. You see, this is very difficult. Not much of this attacking happens to us in North America, but wait. But wait. Governor Como of New York said, if you're a serious Christian, this state's not the place for you to live in. Talking about the abortion law they're, they're passing. <clears throat> if you're a serious Christian, this place is not the place you need to live. So they're all going to come to Texas, y'all. Seriously. Really, you'd say that? If Governor Como had said, if you're a serious Muslim, do you think they'd been all hell to pay? Do you think the liberal media would have lost their minds? But you can kick a Christian. Why? Because we're blessed. We're blessed when that happens. Oh. Wow. If I'm being attacked, is it for righteousness? I wrote this down and this started to bother me. Because most of my attacks are due to my own sloppy behavior are on my own spiritual blindness, not because of righteousness. Do I need to read that again? Most of my attacks are due to my own sloppy behavior or my own spiritual blindness. I want to feel all pious and high and mighty because I'm being attacked for righteousness when actually I'm being attacked because I'm an idiot. Am I by myself? Well, I'm glad to see some of y'all are owning up. Jesus speaks of being excluded. Excluded because you're righteous. But often, those of us who claim to be righteous, we love to exclude others, don't we? We say, well, would you get your act cleaned up? Would you sober up and straighten out? We'll let you come and be a part of the family. And maybe the family is the fellowship of the broken. There's one of the biggest causes of pain is to be excluded. Did you know that? To be left out. Some of you know what that feels like. Well, Jesus is inclusive. Listen to what Jesus says. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. All of you 
How many is all? All is all, y'all. Take up my yoke and learn from me. Now, when you think of yoke, do not think of an oxen tied to another oxen. That's not what this means at all. So we're going, what? I've been taught that all my life. It's not what it means. Yoke was the body of teaching a rabbi would teach his followers. It was their law or their lesson or their philosophy. It was called their yoke of learning. And they would put this on. He said, take up my yoke, my philosophy, my teaching. For my yoke and learn from me because I'm gentle and humble. Where? Where is Jesus gentle and humble? Where? Where does life change start? Oh. And you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. So I read this and I realize I've got to stop attacking folks. I've got to stop being a brat. I need to reel in my negative critical spirit. I, I need to quit excluding people based on my preference or my preconceived notions. I got to be like Jesus. And Christians, I want to say it very sweetly, we're, we're, we're known for eating our wounded. We cannibalize people in words. This week, I was looking for something on the internet, actually writing this talk, and I came across a bunch of preachers attacking other preachers. I mean, it's all over the internet. Y'all ever read that stuff? And you know the three biggest people who get attacked on the internet? You know who they are? I, I kind of did an informal look. Here they are. Joel Osteen. Preachers like to attack him. Now before y'all get, just, just settle down. Rick Warren. People love to attack Pastor Rick. Ravi Zachariah. Some of y'all know who Ravi Zachariah is? Brilliant theologian. Those three guys get attacked the most. You, you know who they attack? Nobody. They attack nobody. Ravi Zacharias never said a negative critical word about any other preacher. Rick Warren has it. Joel Osteen has it. In fact, I don't think Joel Osteen's ever had a negative critical thought in his life. He just wants to be happy. had a friend of mine that was at a, a leadership conference with uh, Andy Stanley and John Maxwell and Joel Osteen and said they were talking about preaching. And they asked Andy Stanley, said, Andy, do you ever listen to yourself preach? He goes, oh yeah, I listen to myself preach and I critique my preaching. And I, I know this, when you listen to yourself preach and you critique your preaching, you're either gonna get better or you're gonna quit. They asked Joel Osteen, he said, Joel, do you ever listen? He goes, oh yes, I listen to myself preach. And I tell you what, if you listen to yourself preach, you either go get better, well, you just get better. Yeah. <laughs> he can't help it. And I read this stuff and I go, what are we doing? What are we doing? So I Googled me. <laughs> Believe it or not, 
I have been attacked on the internet. Several years ago, the Globe and Mail, which is like the USA Today of Canada, big national newspaper, they did a feature article on First Alliance Church where I was the pastor. And they had a picture of me on the cover of the magazine. You could Google it. 43,000 negative comments about Scott Weatherford. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. Do you know what I did? I read them all. Why? Because I'm crazy. <laughs> then I put on my tinfoil hat and I sat in the corner and I made up concocted conspiracies about myself. Really? And these people didn't even know me. Get to know me, you'll hate my whole family. Come on. <laughs> but what are we doing in this when we're judgmental and tech? And the thing about inclusion means I was supposed to love you in spite of you. I wrote this down. I don't know if I should say it. Well, I am. Everyone has a Judas in their life. Everyone. Someone that will betray you. And when I say that, some of you instantly get a picture in your mind, a face comes to mind. I've been a pastor for 38 years. I've had many Judases. Here's what I want to say to you. You don't be a Judas to somebody. I cannot control the behavior of other people. Did you know that? I can control my behavior. It's called self-control. I want you to take your hand. Hold your hand out like this. Hold your hand out. Come on. Everybody hold your hand. Pick a piece of skin and hold it like that on your, on your hand. Some of y'all, it's easier than others. <laughs> hold it there and repeat after me. I can control everything I'm holding. That's it. That's probably the only thing you'll remember about this talk. <laughs> then Jesus warns, what sorrow awaits you who are rich for you have your happiness now and what sorrow awaits those you who are fat and prosperous now for a time of awful hunger awaits you and what sorrow awaits for you laugh now for your laughter will be turned to mourning and sorrow and what awaits you, what sorrow awaits you when you're praised by the crowds for their ancestors also praise the false prophets. And you read that and you go, What? And you have to remember he's talking about not self-evaluation, judgmentalism, not hungering for righteousness. He's not talking about stuff. He's not talking about body size. Thank God. He's talking about your heart. Self-righteousness, lack of conviction, non-repentance, entitlement, elitism, the list goes on. This is so counter to what we've instructed. His hearers were so mixed. There were Pharisees who were so arrogant and elite. <coughs> there were tax collectors and sinners who were so broken and desperate. And all of this was a call to be different. And Jesus sets the high bar of transformation, that, of transformation that no one can cross. No one can live up to Jesus's expectations. So you know what he does? He comes and he lifts you out of it and lifts you over it lifts you over it. What sorrow awaits, the sorrow of missing God. There's many things that break my heart. Social injustice breaks my heart. Human trafficking breaks my heart. Addictions, the opioid epidemic, poverty, 
egocentric leaders. I'm not going to get political, so don't, don't stress, but right now what our government is doing, both sides, breaks my heart. Weatherford 2020, I'm kidding. I'm not running for president. Breaks my heart. But you know what breaks my heart more than anything? Is that folks like you who sit week after week under the gospel preaching, yet you miss Jesus. You miss Jesus. You get religion, you get church. You get your name on a roll, but you miss Jesus. It breaks my heart. I don't want you to miss Jesus. I don't want you to miss the transformation he brings into your life. I don't don't want you to miss the joy of the peace of the Lord that passes all understanding. I don't want you to miss the glorious reality of heaven. I don't want you to miss that. I don't want you to be churched. I want you to be saved. There's a big difference. I heard someone say, we want to be a church for the unchurched. I don't. I want us to be a church that lives all for Jesus. Whether you know Christ or not Christ, you're drawn into warm, loving circles of hope and care where Christ becomes real and you become his. I'm not looking for us to do church, y'all. I'm looking for us to be the church of the living God, full of the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, seeking to redeem the lost world for his sake and his cause. I don't want you to miss Jesus. I don't know how I could say it any clearer. So whatever that takes, whatever that means, let's do it. Whatever we have to change, whatever tradition we have to break, let's break it so that we can live the life Jesus intended, and that's the blessed life of living all for him. One of the shocking realities is that today in our culture, those who claim to follow Christ behave the same way as those who don't. God wants to bless you, and we need his transformation. Do you want the blessed life? Do you? And come to Jesus. Come to me, all you weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest, all of you. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Y'all, as I read that, just then chill bumps just came all over me because I realized it's the Lord saying this to me. Come to me today. 